little things and it doesn't have to be your full $1,400 stimulus check. It can be buying some to-go lunches for the ICU nurses and the staff members in the hospital who have been working so hard over the last year to take care of everyone. It's buying some nice flowers for a nursing home facility who they haven't seen visitors in over a year or helping out a local school, get supplies going. It could be something as simple as that that costs maybe just $100, right? And it, it will really go a long way. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I am joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. I got in the mail. Nobody can see me holding this up. Only Rachel can see it. But this is my official State Bar of Colorado oh, dang. lawyer registration card. So jokes on all of them. They obviously <laughs> don't check references well. <laughs> I got it's it. Official. It's official. official. It's official. You are licensed. Yeah. This, so for anybody who's not a lawyer and doesn't understand what I'm talking about, bar associations, they insist on, on literally sending you a little plastic card that looks like a credit card that has your bar, pertinent bar information on it. And they send you one every year and then you throw one away every year. I really don't know what these are for. I never use them for anything other than yeah. I get them in the mail and they're they're usually like glued to the paper with that yes. real tacky <laughs> rubbery glue stuff, you know, like the rubber cement, you know, it's like stuck on the paper with the little rubber cement. I pull it off. I pull the little rubber cement off and then I throw this card into a, into some drawer somewhere. I forget about it. I never use it. The next year they send me another one. Pretty much, it's usually timed somewhere around like I paid my uh, I paid my dues, and then they sent me a new card. So then I get my new card. I do the whole thing over again. Mm-hmm. Pull it out, pull it off the paper. I pull the little sticky rubber cement off. I put that in the drawer. I might find the card from the year before. You know, maybe chop that up and throw it out. I don't know why I chop them up like it matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? The like, there's not really. There's not really useful information on here. I guess my maybe my bar number is on there. Maybe that's a secret. It's on I don't all think of our it is. Pleading. Oh. It's on all of our pleadings. Yeah. Yeah. Public documents. I don't know. Okay. But, so I officially have no reason to to chop these things up every year. I'm doing <laughs> it for no reason. Doing it. Yeah. You're just you're being extra secure. Extra secure. Yes. But hey, I just literally today. I discovered a purpose for these little cards that, like you said, stay in some drawer for an entire year. So thinking in Pima County right now, essential workers can get, are eligible for the next phase of the vaccine. And you have to prove sometime, I I guess, who knows if they actually make you prove. But I heard, I read that you might have to prove that you are part of group well as lawyers how do we prove that we're a lawyer that bar card oh it's got a purpose i actually pulled mine out today from that dusty dusty drawer and put it in my wallet so that when i when my husband goes to get a vaccine and i'm gonna sit in the car with them and hope that maybe i might get mine i could show my bar card 
and say, hey, I'm a lawyer, I'm essential, I would like my vaccine as well. Yeah, that would be that would be handy. I hear you. Well, they so okay. So there is there is one scenario outside of the one that you have just pointed out, which is a very good one, a very good one, where I have needed my bar card in the past. And it's on the rare occasion when I go to probate court and it's a sort of contested situation. Sometimes after the hearings, when you're trying to schedule stuff, or it used to be pre-COVID, the judge would have the two, the two lawyers or three lawyers or whatever number of lawyers go back to the judge's chambers and talk to their assistant to sort of work out some scheduling dates because it was just easier to do that. So in order to get back to see the assistant, sometimes you would have to have your bar card and there'd be like a little camera up on the wall and they would make you hold up your bar card toward the camera. I'm assuming the camera could zoom in far enough to tell that that was an actual bar card, but the bar card doesn't have like any real identifying information on it. It doesn't have a picture. It's not like it's got a thumbprint. Like there's no way you could look at the bar card and then look at the person holding the card and know that they were the same person. But just based on that action, then they would open up the door. The security would open up the door and then you could walk back and get back into the judge's chambers. So that was the only time I ever used my bar card. So I always had to remember if I had to go to one of those types of hearings to bring my bar card that day or like pull it out of my drawer, you know, sift around, find the one for the year that matters, not the, all the old ones that I hadn't thrown out yet, pull that out, like put it in my bag and then walk it over to the courthouse. So should I be invited back, I could get through security. <laughs> wow. I yeah. didn't think that was a thing. Okay. Yeah. Intense, huh? Yeah, that's that's some security right there. Feeling mm -hmm. pretty special. Okay. Mm -hmm. Someday I hope to use my bar card for that. Yeah. Well, okay. So another thing, another time that that happens when you don't have a hearing, but you need to go say drop something off to a judge again to get back through the secure door to the judge's chambers, you got to hold up your little bar card and you sort of hold it up to the, the little video camera and they look at it. And then presumably based on looking at that little card, which I'm assuming they can zoom straight into, um, <laughs> and then looking at your face, they're like, yes, that is a Rachel, clearly. And then they just <laughs> let you through. Or in my case, a Brent. Like they look at the bar card, they're like, Brent, yes, that guy looks like a Brent, we'll let him in. <laughs> He's got an official looking card. So yeah, so yeah, I got my card from Colorado. Now I'll throw it in a drawer and then forget about it until they send me another one. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not like without the card, you're not licensed either. In fact, uh, through the state bar, nobody wants to know this, but we're going we're gonna to include this anyways. But um, through the state bar, you can print off your card or you can get the electronic copy of like your card and all the pertinent information. So I really, I'm very, I'm honored that they would send me the card, but I'm also slightly confused. About why they took the trouble to send me the card. I think it's just for something, right? We gotta we pay our dues every year, and you know dues aren't cheap. So you gotta just you gotta feel like you're getting something for it, something yeah. tangible. Yeah. You you get your card back. You're like, wow, I paid a lot of money for this card. This is a nice card. Yes. This is really good <laughs> plastic. Oh, it's got writing on both sides. That's fancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's how I feel too. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of d paying your dues, 
very, very recently, the Senate passed the stimulus bill that it appears, you know, all things seem to be pointing in this direction, is going to become the law of the land. Okay, so the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. I'm assuming that it's called ARPA. I'm just assuming that's what we're all going to be referring to this act as, but it's the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 officially, otherwise known as the stimulus bill. So if anybody's been hearing about the stimulus bill in the news, that's what that is. It passed on party line voting, surprise, surprise. So 50 to 49, apparently no Republicans voted for it, which is quite interesting because a lot of what is in the act, at least some of the, the kind of key or keystone type pieces of the act are almost identical to what was in the Trump stimulus plan. The justification that I had heard from, at least in the news, from the talking heads of, uh, from the Republican side about why they decided not to vote for this act, even though it's almost identical to the Trump Act, was they felt it was too expensive and essentially not needed anymore. I don't know if that's true because I'm not an economist, so I don't really have an opinion on that specifically. But it is quite curious to me that um, while they were in charge of the federal government, they actually passed two bills that had a roughly $2 trillion sticker price on them. Okay, The first one was the Trump tax cut bill at the end of 2017. That, uh, for those who keep track of these things, was a $1.7 trillion tax cut. Okay, This was close to $2 trillion cut in revenue. That's what a tax cut really is, unless you assume that you're going to make up that revenue in later years because of economic stimulation, which uh, apparently none of the research supports actually ever happens. And then number two, uh, the stimulus bill that included the PPP program and you know a bunch of the stuff that we've been talking about on the podcast uh, for like the last year. So notwithstanding the fact that they passed two virtually $2 trillion spending packages um, or tax cut cap packages while they were in charge, none of the Republicans voted for this particular package um, and it did it, it did not necessarily go down perfectly for all the Democrats, too, because they had almost all night debates about the stimulus bill. And one of the provisions that was the linchpin provision was uh, a provision about stimulus payments, direct stimulus payments. So with that very lengthy and probably non-interesting uh, introduction here, I thought we could talk about the stimulus payments that were uh, agreed to in this act that, again, are very, very likely about to become the law of the land and sent out to people so that we can explain who's going to get them, first of all. And then second of all, sort of our top five things that you could do, should you be so so uh, fortunate to get one of these checks, top five things you could do with these checks. Yeah. I think that sounds like a plan. I think a lot of people have been waiting anxiously for this bill, right? We've been hearing nonstop. I feel like ever since the CARES Act, honestly, people were waiting for another round of stimulus. Um, we saw the PPP loan program go by so fast, and it's just constantly been in the news. And you've seen both sides debate about what's going to be in the bill, what's going to be in the bill, it goes back and forth, things getting cut. And we're finally here. And like I said, we're so close to the end. Looks like it's going to be uh, made the law of the land pretty soon. 
So we will see. But yeah, I think a lot of people are especially are hoping for a check, although not many people are going to get it this time around than the last time around. So I think that's that's definitely something to consider. And also to consider that, again, this isn't the law of the land yet. So depending on when it actually does get signed, that's going to make a big difference in determining uh, what last tax year is going to be looked at in determining whether or not you qualify for a stimulus check. So for example, if you've already filed your 2020, 2020 taxes already, then the IRS might be looking at your 2020 taxes, you know, your income there instead of your 2019 ones. So that all, there's a little bit of still at play right now. So definitely a lot to, to think about and whether or not you might be getting one. Yep, absolutely. And as you say, the the class of people who qualify this this time around is slightly condensed because they, uh, if you remember the last time around, you could qualify to get the payment based on uh, your prior year's taxable income or adjusted gross income, I should say, um, if if you were within certain limits. So so last time around, an individual, for example, could have adjusted gross income or AGI of up to $100,000. And then a married couple filing jointly could have adjusted gross income of up to $200,000, and they could still get the stimulus checks. This time around, those numbers are reduced down a bit. So for the individual, it's $80,000. Actually, there's a there's, there's a little phase out, I believe, between seventy-five dollars and $80,000 of adjusted gross income. There's this little pocket window where you get, you get phased out of it. And then for a married couple filing jointly, you get no stimulus check after $160,000 and adjusted gross income. So down from 200,000 down to 160,000. And again, there's a little, as I understand it, little uh, phase out period for them too. There's like a $10,000 window between like 150 and 160 where you get phased out of the stimulus payment, okay? Then the stimulus payment itself is a $1,400 payment per person and it includes per dependent, okay? So you, let's say you're a single individual you had $70,000 of adjusted gross income. doesn't matter what year it was in, just to make it easy. But you had $70,000 of adjusted gross income. Single individual, zero dependents. Then, at least according to this act, as it is done now, you would qualify for $1,400. If instead you're a married couple and you have three dependents, then you get five $1,400 stimulus payments, in essence. Okay, So for every... So every every person that is filing on your return, you know, the two, the husband, wife, or spouse and spouse, uh, plus their dependents, uh, the three dependents, you get a stimulus check for each one of those, right? So you can kind of you kind of multiply up, but you get you just get phased out at a sooner at a sooner rate than under the previous stimulus bill. Yep, exactly. I, I think you nailed it right there. So I think a lot of people what. What you really need to look at is if you are hoping to get one of these checks, you're really in need of one of these checks, first start looking at your 2019 adjusted gross income just to see what the numbers are on that and see if you might qualify. If you've already uh, filed your 2020 taxes, then it might be based off your 2020 taxes. So you need to look at that instead. For anyone who's had a child in 2020, there you go on the, the dependents getting a check for the dependents. It also is important to note with the dependents, you know, with the the bill being finalized, look closely on 
exactly who qualifies as a dependent. Um, there are certain specific provisions on, um, I believe, like the age of the, the dependent, things like that. So that's just good to, to keep in mind as well. Um, but really, I think that the first start for anyone in hoping to get a check is to look at your 2019 and your 2020 income and just see where you're at to see if you're going to be hitting these thresholds in order to qualify for a check. Yeah, it's a really great point. You do, you know, I mean, the devil's always in the details, but there are certain like adult dependents who can qualify for these stimulus payments as well. So you do kind of have to double check and see like if you have adult dependents who are living with you, which is not, of course, uncommon now. And it wasn't necessarily uncommon before coronavirus either, but um, certainly since the pandemic, that has not been terribly uncommon for adult dependents to be living with parents or grandparents or otherwise. And so you you do kind of have to check the rules for your particular set of circumstances. I have heard some CPAs suggesting that uh, individuals who have yet to file their 2020 return, if the 2020 return would disqualify them for the stimulus payment, that those individuals might consider um, deferring filing their 2020 uh, tax return, which you could still do. You could still get an automatic six-month extension to file. You don't get an extension to pay, but you get an extension to file your return. And so, you know, if you would, ex if you're expecting that your 2020 income is going to push you up above these thresholds, um, I've at least heard some CPA suggesting that maybe you would want to wait totally up to the individual. And, you know, whether, whether the money is material enough for you or not, you know, it's totally up to the individual. So, that that is one thing to bear in mind. You you brought that up, Rachel, which was which was quite right. But there's a little bit of a timing element here because it is tied to the prior year, like the most recent year's filed tax return. There's a little bit of a timing element here. If somebody had income in 2020 that would actually put the, push them above these thresholds, then they've got a bit of a decision to make right now. Yep, actually, just I remember that in the CARES Act that happened for me actually because it was based originally off your 2018 income which I was still in law school in 2018 so I was a very very poor law student so you were you were it was raining yes. raining debt it was great yeah or yeah not so great now I guess now that you know paying more than a mortgage payment a month in student loans but in terms of 2018, I didn't, I qualified. I was under the income threshold. If I had filed my 2019 taxes beforehand, it would have completely disqualified me. So like you said, there is a bit of a, a game there that people kind of need to play and, and just take a closer look at to see whether or not you're going to qualify for that check. Yeah, there may be an uh, extra amount of uh, extended tax returns for individuals so we'll find out. Well, I guess it depends on how your 2020 was. For somebody who was hard hit in 2020 and their income was reduced, obviously, if 2019 was a better year than 2020, they probably would want to file 2020, if they can, file it now, uh, if that will help them in terms of like the amount of stimulus payment that they can get. So again, as I say, like there's a little bit of a a game here. It's it's person to person. Everybody has to kind of look at these rules once they become the law. Look at the rules, see the details, and and then kind of determine for yourself where do you fit in this, and and which step do you think you ought to be taking in order to get the most amount of benefit out of this program. Absolutely. So with that, obviously, 2020 was a very hard year for a lot of people. Um, a year that none of us expected, none of us ever wish ever happens again. 
And that's why we have this new stimulus package. And that's why people are going to be getting stimulus checks is because a lot of people were hit really, really hard. And so with that, um, there's a bunch of different things that people can do if they are fortunate to receive a stimulus check. And so I think kind of the, the first thing on the list that people can do with their stimulus checks is pay the bills right? Pay the bills. That's the, easy, right? That's the easiest thing. That's the first thing that, of course, comes to mind. If, you know, this was a hard year for you and anyone has lost a job, um, a spouse has lost a job, you've just you've lost a source of income in your life, bills are going to be a lot harder. You maybe, maybe you've had to cut back quite a bit during the last year. This is definitely something to put that money towards getting ahead on your rent, mortgage, uh, paying utilities, whatever it may be. Um, just getting a little ahead because it sounds like, like you were talking about earlier, Brent, you know, with the the back and forth of whether or not we even needed this bill in the first place. I think a lot of people thought that it's it wasn't needed anymore. And so I, I really don't think that we would see a third stimulus coming after this. I mean, who knows? But my bet would be on we're probably not going to see a third stimulus bill. If we did, I don't think it would include another round of checks, direct payment checks. And so this might be the last check that you're going to receive. And so, you know, maybe you should put it to really good use and, you know, kind of get ahead on the bills for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's I think that's intended. Um, I think at least underlying most of these direct payment type stimulus programs, there's there's an idea that people are going to get the money. They're going to turn around, take the money and spend it on bills, things that they need to buy and by virtue of spending it on bills or things that they need to buy, two things happen. Number one, they defer the direct hit of economic hardship in their personal lives. So, you know, maybe defer a foreclosure or they defer, you know, being kicked out of where they're living or they defer having utilities shut off, et cetera, if they're in very dire straits. And number two, uh, it gets money directly injected into the economy at the consumer level. So there, I think there's that that kind of idea behind the stimulus to begin with. So yeah, absolutely paying bills. Okay, so number two, second thing that people could do in our top five list of things that people could do with these stimulus checks. Mind you, this is the top five. Everything after this is like six, seven, eight. Like this is the top five. <laughs> so number two is they could you could if you didn't need to spend the money on in, on paying bills you could take the money and invest the money okay so what do i mean by invest the money uh that could come in a lot of different stripes but let's just assume hypothetically here you had a married couple they have three kids and they qualify for the full stimulus payment okay they're going to get a $7,000 payment. Well, they could, if they were so inclined, take the $7,000 and put the $7,000 into a Roth IRA. Okay. So you might wonder, well, why would they put it? Why would they do that? Well, the money, as far as I understand, is not supposed to be taxable. And so if you're getting money that's not taxable and then you're flipping it into a Roth IRA and then you're going to take the money out of the Roth on a non-taxable basis, that seems like a pretty good use of the non-taxable money to me if you're going to invest the money and you can qualify to do so. So I think there are some opportunities for somebody, again, who doesn't need the money to pay bills, but they're going to qualify to get this, this check anyways, to take the money and flip it into a deferred investment vehicle. And then they'll have that taken care of. Either they can do it before April 15th and count it as a contribution from 2020, if that makes sense for them, 
or they can make the contribution and just front load their 2021 contributions to those plans, assuming that they're going to qualify um, under all the AGI thresholds for those plans anyway. So there's a there's a little window here where essentially the federal government is giving you money and you could take that money and assume that what they intend for you to do is to just supplement your own personal investments. So that could be an option. Absolutely. I think, you know, I said it was a tough year, right? We're hopefully going to be getting out of it this year, that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And that when we return to just our normal sense of uh, daily living and, you know, what, what our pre-2020 goals were and all of that, um, you think a lot of people saving for retirement, again, building that general generational wealth that we talk about so much on this show, people are going to be getting back into that mindset, right? We're not into this. We're not going to be in the mode of surviving, getting by day by day. It's looking ahead, looking towards the future again, because our future is bright and we've got one now where we could be around people again. And so when you think about that, yeah, it's starting to plan for your retirement again, investing the money. Um, this last year, we saw a huge dip in the stock market, obviously with the pandemic. Um, when you're investing, even if you wanted to invest in stocks or different uh, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever it may be, buying low, buying in the dip, that's what they always say you need to do. And so, you know, you can kind of look at that as well, seeing if that may be an option for you right now while the prices are still pretty low, and then hopefully riding up as the market kind of redeems itself over the next year. Yeah, and I guess as a little bit of a corollary to the investing your money piece, because I I don't want to make that too narrowly focused, I guess. I, I tried not to make it, but maybe I, I didn't say it quite in the right way. But when I say investing the money, I actually have a very broad range of things in mind. So for example, it could be that even though somebody now doesn't necessarily need the money to pay bills, it could be that in the past they were dipping into savings in order to pay bills because of some hardship that happened during the pandemic or maybe some gap that happened where um, their employer didn't have the extra stimulus funds from the prior CARES Act bill to keep them going full time. And so they had to dip in income. They had to dip into their savings. So obviously, one of the options on the investing side of the equation is to take the money and just put it back into savings, you know, build up your if you know, if you have sort of a cash reserve or you were you were dipping into your cash reserves in order to keep things rolling. You know, just put this into your cash reserves and build up that cash reserves again. I think one thing that the pandemic has made pretty obvious is that none of us can control life and having having a cash buffer is a good thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a cash buffer. So if you can, you know, if you can sort of build up a cash buffer or if you you had one that needs to be built up now, you know, that also might be the thing you would do if you're if you're inclined to invest the money, get that cash bus buffer before you're thinking about maybe investing the money in an IRA where it will be difficult for you to tap into that on a tax-free basis or at least a penalty-free basis if you're not already over 59 and a half, for example. So that 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 is also an option. So I, anyways, I just want to clarify that when I say investing, I mean this very broad range of things. So I think that brings us then to number three on our top five list, which is if you are fortunate enough to not need the money right now to pay for bills and uh, you haven't didn't need to dip into your savings too much over the last year. And you know what? 
you just want to do some good for society because we have all had one heck of a year and we all need to be doing some good for society for one another right now. Another thing you can do with your stimulus check is to give it to charities, which of course were very hit, uh, which were very hard hit last year. Giving it to local charities is great. Giving it to nationwide charities, whatever it may be, your money can go really far with a charity we've talked about before on this podcast that, you know, giving a dollar to a food bank, while it may seem like you're just giving a dollar, they can turn that dollar into like $3. So the money really goes far. And, you know, in return, you get a charitable deduction. So you're getting a little bit something back. So, you know, you'll be able to help uh, write that off if you are giving it to a qualifying charity. In Arizona, there's also the charitable tax credit. So you do get a little bit back and you're doing a really nice thing and doing something really good for society. Yeah, absolutely. A tremendous thing. An absolutely tremendous thing. And and actually, when you when you look at the, the statistics now, at least the statistics that uh, Feeding America puts out about like food banks and how how efficient they can be with money. The statistic that I always hear is every one dollar feeds ten meals. Like they're that the food banks are that efficient with the money. Now whether that applies like every single location, you know, doing the exact same level of efficiency, I don't know. But that's the statistic that you read um, from Feeding America. So in my example, just to put a little bit of gloss on this where you had the married couple with the three dependents and they got the seven grand again, to your point, you know, let's just, just assume that they don't need the money to pay bills. So they're fortunate in that sense. And they're able and willing to give the money to charity. Well, if they give it to a food bank, at least according to those feed America statistics, they just fed 70,000 meals. That's tremendous. So you got money basically for free from the government. You turned around and fed 70,000 meals. And that's that's an incredible thing to do. So, yeah, I hope people uh, who are in a position to do that think about it. Ultimately, the policy, if you sort of look at like charitable giving from a tax policy perspective, the policy behind charitable giving is essentially that the government will subsidize and try to encourage charitable giving because ultimately charitable giving reduces the burden on the government to take care of the populace. So if you think about the stimulus payment from that perspective, it's actually one of the most natural things to do with the money because the perp- it's government money, right? And it's coming to you. And then the purpose of charitable giving is to supplement government support for people. So if you use the money to supplement gov- government support in, a- in effect uh, of people, you're just sort of doing exactly what charitable giving is intended to do from a policy perspective, even sort of setting aside just the good human ethics side of things, right? But just from a policy perspective, that would be the money doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, number number four, number four on the list. Let's assume the opposite of human beings. Let's assume that human beings, when they get their money, their first thought is not going to be to give it to charity. Their thought is, I'm going to spend this money on me, number one, the person whose name is on the check. And of course, they'd be well within their right to do so. You know, we might think less of them as human beings, but that's okay. They're within their rights to do exactly that with their money. And in effect, that is kind of what the money is for, right? I mean, that's there's So here's the joke from the last time 
they sent out the stimulus checks was that you know the televisions at Walmart were all priced at one dollar less than the stimulus checks. Like, I, and I haven't gone on to check like the Walmart website to see how many uh, flat screen uh, flat screen plasma TVs are thirteen hundred ninety nine dollars right now. But you know that's where the thing's going to happen, and retailers are going to jump on this. And there is, I'm sure, an expectation in Congress that people are going to take these stimulus checks and spend it on retail items. So some people will. Yeah. Walmart and all your big box stores are going to be having a bunch of sales coming up soon and they're going to be priced right around that stimulus amount. Um, but when you think about, like you said, when you getting the check from the government, if you're not so charitably inclined, the money is supposed to be spent, right? It's supposed to be spent somehow, put in some sort of vehicle, whether that's, again, we're investing it into the economy, whether we are giving it to charity, whether or not we are just going to the mall and having a shopping spree or buying a ton of groceries at Costco, it's supposed to be spent. And when you spend that money, you're putting the money back into the economy, which is helping out someone else. So here we go. We're trying to get the economy moving again. We're getting the ball rolling. Now, one thing that you can do if you are trying to be a little bit better than just buying the, the biggest awesome new TV at Walmart is at least trying to go to a local store. Because again, we know our local or small businesses have been hit really hard by the pandemic. So if you want to go spend the money, absolutely go and do it. Uh, try and go shop local first, I would recommend just so that you can see uh, that money kind of do a little bit more good in your own community. If you can't find it, Okay, I guess you can go to a big box store and go spend the money. At least it's it's going somewhere back into the economy. Um, but that's one way you can spend it. If someone's plan is to drink the entire check, are you still recommending this course of action? I would say over a long period of time. I would say <laughs> in a very short period of time, that's a lot of alcohol. Even if you're buying really nice top shelf I was stuff. Say, what about like the very, very, very like Vegas top shelf? What about that? Um, I, it wouldn't be my first choice, but you know what? It's been a hard year, so I, I'm not going to judge anyone if that's how they're going to spend their money. I get it. It's been a tough year. I, I, I get it. I get it. You're an extremely tolerant person. This is what <laughs> I'm learning from this. It's like you, the... Whether they're going to go uh, go to Vegas and get the very, very, very top shelf uh, stuff, or they're just going to get like an entire truckload of Bud Light, you're you're still okay with this, depending on the rate of consumption. I think depending on the rate of consumption, if you know they're going to safely have some friends involved in this consumption, so it's not solely uh, one person consuming all of that alcohol. I think that yes. that factors in. You know, this is a facts and circumstances kind of test, I feel like, to determine how judgmental I'm going to be in this scenario. <laughs> Got it. I see. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, That's fair. Yeah. But, you know, if you're, if you're going to Vegas, you're buying top shelf, please at least leave a nice hefty tip for your bartender. Mm. Okay. You know, there's there's ways that we can help uh, revitalize the economy and do a little bit more good while we're while we're consuming this amount of beverages. Understood. Understood. I think I think that's perfectly fair. <laughs> All right. Well, what if? Okay. So we kind of did the give to charity bit, and then we did the don't give to charity, give to yourself bit because your name is on the check. What if we went sort of split the difference? And number five, I think would be you spend the money on other people. Yes, and I think that's a good one. That's a really good one, and that could be your friends, that could be your family members. 
Um, you think school's still going around, right? We still got school. We got people who are in college, so you can help uh, family members uh, go off to college. If you've got children or grandchildren, you could still help pay for some of those educational expenses. If you are fortunate not to be uh, hit hard this last year, maybe you know someone who was. And so, you know, helping them out, whether that's helping them pay their bills or helping them, you know, purchase a new TV or purchase some beverages for that individual, um, whatever it may be, you know, you could also help your, your help your neighbor out, basically. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. And that's not really charity in the sense of the way the IRS views charity. But very interestingly, I hear from time to time from clients who are charitably inclined, something along these lines, okay? Can I still take a deduction if I pay for XYZ expense for this person that I know? Okay. So like, you know, pay the mortgage for some person or pay some other bills for some person. Just pay money directly or just give money directly to some person that they know or they've come in contact with that they they feel like is deserving of of that gift. And I tell them no, it's not, at least not in the eyes of the tax rules, because the tax rules with certain limitations that are way too much uh, to go into right now, but certain limitations, paying money directly to people is not really the intent of like the charitable the charitable deduction rules under the tax code. That doesn't mean that that's not charitable. And it doesn't mean that that's not a worthy thing to do or a perfectly great, morally upstanding thing to do. Absolutely. You should still do it. Just because you're not going to get the charitable deduction doesn't mean it's out the door and you shouldn't do it anymore. It's still a fabulous option, a good way to spend your money. It's, in my opinion, a lot better than buying that new flat screen TV at Walmart. So. Oh, oh no. All right. <laughs> I won't, I won't buy, I won't buy a new TV. <laughs> I mean, with it's, it's a $1,400 check also, remember, where these, these aren't the, the, the bigger stimulus checks that we got to see last year. You know, I don't, I mean, who knows? Maybe the sales are going to be pretty phenomenal, but I don't think you're going to get like an 80-inch 4K curved TV with a $1,400 check. You know, it's, you might be li limited to like a 60-inch or 50-inch, who knows? But um, yeah, I know. Fair. Might as well just get the the, the truckload of, of the Bud Light, I guess, at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Look, I, I I'm with you, and I think that the the idea of spending the money on people that you know is it, of the options for somebody who's going to be more charitably inclined. Aside from you know, I think like the food bank or like the places that are really efficient with money and serve direct needs, direct essential needs for. Uh, other human beings, spending the money on people that you know personally who have a need or have have some critical issue uh, is really meaningful. Um, it's a bit of a shame, I think, that from sort of a tax policy perspective, that that is not viewed as charitable or it's not viewed in a way that that you should get some sort of tax benefit for doing it because no less worthy a thing to do. And it's such a personal thing to do. Uh, and it's such a great thing to be able to do on a like a, a human to human level that you know, I would never want to talk anybody out of doing it. Yeah. And I think, too, people can just think it's like you said, it's it's little things and it doesn't have to be your full fourteen hundred dollar stimulus check. It can be buying 
some to-go lunches for the ICU nurses and the staff members in the hospital who have been working so hard over the last year to take care of everyone. It's buying some nice flowers for a nursing home facility who they haven't seen visitors in over a year or helping out a local school, get supplies going. It could be something as simple as that that costs maybe just $100, right? And it, it will really go a long way, and especially in today's world where we you know, yearn for the connection and contact with one another again, that's a great way to kind of do some good. Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. All right, that is our top five. So if anybody uh, who is going to receive this stimulus check when it becomes law, which we expect it to be quite soon, uh, if, you're, if you're fumbling around trying to figure out what do I do with this money and you have no good ideas, maybe possibly we suggested a good idea that you could utilize. Absolutely. And I think actually, if I had to add a six, uh -huh. you know, being a sponsor of the Wealth and Law podcast, that is an option as well. <laughs> Just saying, spend it on someone else, you know, get the information out there to the public. I'm just saying. Indeed. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Anybody who needs that, just message Rachel or I, and I'm sure we'll give them our home addresses where they can send that money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Rachel, as usual, it was a pleasure. We'll do it again. Definitely. If you're enjoying what we're doing with the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on social at Wealth and Law and follow our blog, wealthandlaw.com. See you there.